The Book of Mormon is a literary masterpiece, but our understanding of it is not static. We're constantly learning new things and confirming old ones. The Book of Mormon was read millions of times before the 1970s, but it took the study of a young missionary to discover a startling writing style that revolutionized our understanding and appreciation for the writers who carefully composed the pages of this amazing book. New insights and greater understanding are just waiting for our discovery. This is Between the Lines of the Book of Mormon, and we're your hosts. I'm Jay Harris. And I'm Andrew Harris. You know, we not only love the Book of Mormon for the content, but we're also really interested in the process of how the Book of Mormon was created. Yeah. Both from the point of view of Joseph Smith's translation, but even before that, of the process that Mormon went through in compiling the records and abridging the records that we now have as the Book of Mormon. The majority of the Book of Mormon was taken from the large plates of Nephi, which had the record of the kings and the people, and it was handed down from king to king until eventually it ended up in the hands of Mormon. In abridging, he would often make comments, so he would be telling stories and then put his own personality in the middle of it to tell certain aspects that he thought of as he was writing. So it was quite the undertaking for Mormon to compile the Book of Mormon. In fact, in the Words of Mormon 1, verse 5, he said, I cannot write the hundredth part of the things of my people. And so he had tons of records that he could have taken from, but he had to narrow it down to the most important things. So much of the Book of Mormon is written from the perspective of Mormon retelling the stories. There are, however, a few things in the Book of Mormon which I think are the original writings untouched by Mormon's hands. Yeah. A couple of those things are the letters that Alma wrote to his sons. That's what we want to talk about today, these letters that Alma composed and wrote to his sons, particularly the letter written to his son, Helaman. In that letter, Alma wrote about his conversion experience. He didn't rush this at all. He wanted to take his time. He wanted to compose this letter because he realized it was something that would not only be given to Helaman, but would be given to his descendants through time and probably other members of the church to hear about his conversion experience. Yeah. Alma wrote that letter, not just a regular letter, but he wrote it in ancient Nephite poetry, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Yeah. And it's a little bit like Nephi when Nephi was writing his poetry. The wording is is very beautiful, but it's not just the wording that we wanted to talk about. It's the form that he wrote it in. Right. We often think of poetry that we write in a certain form like iambic pentameter. Or uh, haiku. Or haiku. (laughs) Limerick. Just lots of different styles that we have. Yeah. But this style was called a chiasmus. Mm -hmm. For many decades, this remarkable writing pattern in the Book of Mormon went unnoticed. Nobody even knew it was going on. Although this poetic form of writing was recognized in other ancient Hebrew texts, like the Old Testament, it was not until the mid-1970s that a young Latter-day Saint missionary by the name of John W. Welch discovered it in many places in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And it's a little hard to describe a chiasmus. How would you describe a chiasmus, Andrew? 
I would describe a chiasmus kind of like a pyramid. You work your way up to the top, and then you work your way back down on the other side of it. In the upscale, you tell a certain point after point after point till you get to the top. Yeah. And then you don't continue on with point after point, but you reverse order point after point after point until you get down to where you began. Yeah. It ends like it begins. It has mirrored points. Exactly. That's a good way of describing it, is mirrored points. And the top is typically where you have a focal point. Can we give an example of a chiasmus? Yeah. I think we can compose (laughs) one. All right. So here's the one that we just wrote as an example. (laughs) It's kind of silly. but It is. I love shopping because I like fresh produce and seeing my friends. Shopping is fun. My friends buy carrots and peas at the grocery store where I love to shop. Okay. <laughs> That's written in <laughs> chiasmic form. Yes. I'll just read the first one. You read the yeah. opposite. Okay. It starts with, I love shopping. And it ends with, I love to shop. I like fresh produce. At the mirrored part, it would say, carrots and peas at the grocery store. And then the first part is seeing my friends. And my friends buy. And then the point of emphasis is shopping Shopping is is fun. (laughs) Which it isn't. (laughs) But for our chiasmic point, shopping is fun. Okay, That is the way that chiasmus works. Yeah. It's amazing how many places, if you search, you can find chiasmus in the Book of Mormon. But the largest example is this chiasmus found in the 36th chapter of Alma. The entire chapter is written in chiasmus. One important part to notice is that you can't just go verse 1, mirrors, verse whatever. It's the points. So a lot of it's kind of hidden in verses, like there will be half of a verse that mirrors another half of a verse. Let's go through it and see if we can find some examples of chiasmus. He starts with, my son, give ear to my words. It ends with, this is according to his word. And the second part is, that inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall prosper in the land. And that's exactly how it ends. It says, keep the commandments and ye shall prosper in the land. I would that ye should do as I have done in remembering the captivity of our fathers, for they were in bondage, and none could deliver them except it was the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Yeah, for he has brought our fathers out of Egypt, and he has swallowed up the Egyptians in the Red Sea, and he led them by his power into the promised land, yea, and he has delivered them out of bondage and captivity. It's basically the same idea of being brought out of captivity of of the Egyptians or out of bondage. Right. And I don't think we need to go through this entire scripture That's a fun exercise to do, and we would encourage you to take your time to go through the 36th chapter of Alma and look at the chiasmus and find where it refers back and forth to that. It is really fascinating. But again, the point of emphasis or the focal point of this entire chiasmus is what? Alma 36, verse 17 and 18. It's right at the central part, but in 17, it's the sadder part, you know, where he's torment and guilt. He says, I remembered also to have heard my father prophesy unto the people concerning the coming of one Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to atone for the sins of the world. Now, as my mind caught hold upon this thought, I cried within my heart, O Jesus, thou Son of God, have mercy on me, who am in the gall of bitterness and encircled about by everlasting chains of death. 
When I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. Yea, I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins no more. That is the focal point of this chiasmus. Yeah, the focal point of his entire life. Reversing what was there. So at first, it was this terrible pain. Now it was the release of that pain. And the second half goes backwards with the joy that he felt as he was forgiven of his sins and changed his life. Yeah. It's a really neat way of writing this story that he's telling his son. He could have just told him about the experience, and that might have been a wonderful chapter to read, but by doing it in this way, making it poetic, um, it really is not only a fun, interesting way of writing it, but it also is a, an evidence of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. There are several other places in the Book of Mormon where chiasmus can be found. If you're interested in finding out more, you can look up John W. Welch, and he refers to many of the places where he found chiasmus in the Book of Mormon. Our point is that when Mormon came to this beautiful composition, he didn't touch it. He wrote it exactly as Alma had written it, And so we have the exact words of Alma written some 2,000 or more years ago and the feelings of his heart as he told about his conversion experience and how blessed we are to have that beautiful letter written by the prophet Alma the Younger. Again, thank you so much for listening to our podcasts. We love making these podcasts and hope that you love them too. Next time, we'll be discussing translated beings. Why are some individuals translated, and what is their special mission? We hope you'll join us. Until then, enjoy your reading.